and to verse 17. It's right almost at the end of the book, and it's an, just just an interesting verse, I think. And a, 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 it, it tells us something about the Apostle Paul and about his, um, his writing. He comes uh, towards the end of the letter, and um, you'll notice, I'm sure you notice that in verse 11, he says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Uh, and uh, I think uh, some people say, well, that was because he had poor eyesight and they, so he wrote large letters. I, I'm not convinced of that. Uh, I think he wrote these large letters to emphasize his final passionate concern for the gospel and for the Christians at, uh, at, uh, at Galatia. And uh, he really wants to, to draw atten them, their attention to the fact that these are so wonderful and so important. And in verse 17, as he comes almost to the end, he says this, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is his part of his personal postscript, as it were. And he has boasted already in the cross of Christ, verse 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So he's full of Christ, and that's his great concern. And he goes on to say that it's not because of circumcision or uncircumcision, it's the fact that we are new creatures in Christ, verse 15. Uh, so are we dead to the world and to its temptations? Are we new creatures in Christ? Because this really is the only rule by which we must live, the rule of faith, verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is the commitment to boast in the cross of Christ alone, the freedom, the glory that comes from the saving grace of God. Don't be led astray into bondage by the Judaizers, which was the problem for so many of them. They want you to be branded with the marks of circumcision. They look to ceremonial signs to boast about. Their concern is for ritual and tradition. Paul says, if you're not in Christ, you're not a new creation. And therefore, the ritual signs are of no value. In fact, they're a hindrance because they give you a false hope. So what are you trusting in? What's the basis of your salvation? If you have any doubts about your soul, then maybe you do not have God-given faith. Now, we need to question. I don't want to unsettle people in the wrong sense, but we need to be sure. Don't take it for granted. I think here in, in Britain, so often people live in many ways in a very self-satisfied kind of life. They live for themselves and they're think, thinking about themselves and they don't realize the implications. And yet, of course, in the Old Testament, we read in Amos chapter six, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Don't make assumptions and think that everything's all right, because true discipleship is costly. It's not for weak, flabby, spineless, gutless people. It's for those who will fight against sin and evil. It is costly. There's a war on, and Paul has spoken about that, of course, earlier in the chapter, earlier in the epistle, chapter 5, verse 17, he says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary to one another. There's a fight going on. So crucify the flesh with its passions and lusts, as he tells us. But remember what Christ endured for us. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Crucifixion, 
death upon the tree. That's the rule by which we are to walk. Walk step by step with the, with the spirit. And so he sums up this great thing, this great matter as he comes to the end of this um, epistle with these few words here. Now on let no one trouble me. Let's just look at these a uh, couple of phrase, three phrases here. Let no one trouble me. Now, the word trouble, of course, is often used of hard work, the trouble, the toil of working for the master. Now, when Paul uses the word trouble, he's not complaining, but he knows what it costs to be the Lord's bond slave. He knows that the apostle, the pastor, the man, the woman who's concerned for souls, yearns and agonizes over the lost. But Paul has been troubled by the Josiahs. He's been troubled by the people who have opposed him. He's talked about that in the earlier part of the epistle. He has the care of the Galatians at heart. He is troubled. He doesn't want them to be led astray by these false teachers. teachers. So, you Galatians, take notice of these large letters. I'm underlining this. I'm emphasizing this. Don't be led astray. Don't be hoodwinked by these errors. Take to heart this letter I have written, says Paul. It comes from my heart. Let no one trouble me. Secondly, for I bear in my body the marks. To bear is literally to endure. There is a yoke that he bore. And that reminds us of the, the Lord Jesus Christ who, bear, who bore his cross. He carried the cross. But also in carrying the cross, as he died on the cross, he bears on the cross our sin. What anguish, what pain he bore. The gospel writers talk about this, don't they? John tells us this in John nineteen seventeen, And he, that is the Lord Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull where they crucified him. And in chapter 6 and verse 2, he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Shoulder the weight of one another's burdens and the whole body's involved. This is not a light, easy burden, a light burden. It's not carrying a book it's being bowed down beneath a load. Now, Paul is not grumbling. He's not complaining at the pain and the, and the burden. No, he is glorying in his identification with Christ. If Christ bore so much for me, what a privilege to bear this load for him. And my friends, if we're truly believers, we know there are burdens to bear in this life. There is work to do for him. There's the cost of identification with our Lord. And it is costly, but it is also glorious to bear his marks, to be like Christ, to be conformed to his image, to be sold out to him. Here are tokens of his obedience and devotion to his Lord and Master literally branded with the sign of ownership. Paul talks about this in Ephesians when he talks about the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are branded, as it were, that we are the Lord's people. God sets his signs upon his own. 
Now, I don't know what they do in America, but I know here in Britain, I, I've known a number of uh, farmers who are sheep farmers. And what do they do? They brand their sheep with their own marks so that they know their own flock. And when they go out onto the hills and maybe there are three or four farmers who are all using these all hills, but they know their own flocks. And uh, I believe I understand that sometimes cattle are branded. It's a sign of ownership. Isn't that wonderful? God puts on us the sign of his ownership. Have you been branded with the gospel? But what is this branding? Well, Paul tells us the third thing, the marks of the Lord Jesus. And the word marks is the stigmata, worn outwardly. Now, you Judaizers, you boast of the outward sign of circumcision. But I too, says Paul, can boast in distinguishing marks. They are marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is not the stigmata of St. Francis of Assisi or anything like that. We're not talking about that. No, he's talking about the, the brand of the slave, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. And you remember how in the Old Testament we read of the Hebrew slave who says, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my family. I will not go out free. I will commit myself to my master forever. And what happens? He's taken to the door and his ear is bored through with an awl. Exodus 21 verses 1 to 6. A sign of his dedication to his master. What a wonderful picture of the Christian who is dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are, my friends, our obedience to him costs us. Now, our Lord's obedience was both passive and active, and so is Paul's. Let me very briefly mention this. Firstly, we think of the passive obedience. Paul describes, doesn't he, uh, at times some of the pressures that he went through and the burdens that he faced at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he speaks about suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about the fact that he speaks as a fool. He more than all else labors more abundantly in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, three times I was beaten with runs, and so on. Now, few people were beaten more than once. He was beaten three times by the Romans. And usually when a man was beaten by the Romans, very often he lost his life. It was such a terrible beating. Those who didn't die, it left marks upon his body. Paul was beaten five times and three times with rods. And the treatment he received when he first came to Galatia, if you read the earlier part of the epistle, and in Acts 14, 19, he is left as dead on one occasion. But these were physical. But Paul had spiritual scars as well, which are just as real and just as painful because they're not seen in the body. The floggings and the scourgings left their marks. And in a sense, that was passive obedience. He had no control over them. But Paul also speaks of the deep concerns that he has for the church talks about that in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28. Notice the significance of the context. But also he's shown that in this epistle as he writes to the Galatians. 
and he is distressed at the treatment of the men in Corinth, of him and of Titus in 2 Corinthians 12. But there's also active obedience. Paul was actually giving his life away. He bore the name of his Lord and Master. And if he is to bear the name, he is to bear the sufferings of the name. In this world, we will have tribulations. We are, we are to put to test the reality of our, our obedience to Christ. Now, friends, without going into details, I could tell you of many occasions in my own life when I faced trials and tribulations and difficulties, often from, sadly, often from other Christians as well as from the world. But we are to put to test the reality of our obedience to Christ. And the world will oppose them. How are Christians described? We are described as the offscouring of the world. Our Lord was despised and rejected of men, and so will we be. And if we are the servants of the Lord, we can expect no different treatment than him. But my friends, I don't want this to make you feel as though this is terrible and awfully depressing. No, because we bear all these things with triumph. Why? Because verse 18 tells us the grace of the Lord is with us. Hendrickson calls it the marvellous grace of our loving Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very grace of God incarnate. And when we know him, we can face anything that the world can throw against us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is wonderful. William Hendrickson, in his commentary quotes, uh, makes this comment. This is the grace that has atoned for their sin, had brought about the operation of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and their adoption as children and heirs. It is the grace that sustains them, equips them to be living witnesses, fills their hearts with peace that passes understanding and with joy unspeakable and full of glory, and brings them at last to their inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and never fading. Is it not true that throughout the letter, the emphasis on is on the marvel of God's grace, as contrasted with human work? All the fullness of God's saving grace is ours. If we are the Lord's people, he will guide us. He will protect us. He will sustain us. He will keep us. Not from trials, but in the trials, because he's Jesus, our saviour. He is Christ, the anointed of God. He is our Lord and master. He will never fail us or forsake us. And my friends, whatever matter hard, whatever, what matter hardship or trials, what matter sufferings or persecution, he is with us and our eyes are upon him. And we gladly bear all for him. He has trodden the winepress of the wrath of God for us alone. What joy then to be identified with his sufferings and afterwards to share in his glory. Now, I don't know whether you know any of the poems of Amy Carmichael. I don't know what you think uh, of those, but uh, there is one which has been such a challenge to me when I first met it when I was quite a child, and it has lived with me over the years. 
And I think it's such a challenge, and I want to finish with this. And she writes in this poem, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die, and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine a whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar?